Hey, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we are biracial unicorns. And if you've never had a chonkla thrown at you, you might struggle with this episode. Just a little bit. <laughs> Cultural competency, man. It's really, I'm so, I'm, I'm very spoiled. Like I have this mixed background, but I've also been really fortunate to grow up in Albuquerque and to get the rich lessons of Our Lady of Guadalupe and actually having chonclas thrown at me. So my mom adopted <laughs> that one real quick. <laughs> <laughs> she assimilated to that part of the culture very quickly. <laughs> how, That's so for, funny. For some of our for some of our listeners, how would you describe a chonkla? It's like a a, a slippy sandal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We don't, I'm, 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 for those who don't know, Danny is like a doctorate. She's like really smart. And so when she says it's a slippy sandal, you best believe you take her word that it's both slippy and a sandal. But it's 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 a house slipper, but with more weight to it. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's a weighted house shoe. A slipper, a flip flop. Yeah, right. People yeah. call flip flops. That that would still be considered a chancla. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so my mom. So my mom. She is like. It, it's so funny. Her duplicitous life. Like what white mom doesn't love fuzzy slippers for every occasion? Mother's Day, birthdays, right? So she has this mm. arsenal of very heavy, like orthopedic, fuzzy slippers that would also. I'm like. So when I would buy them, I'm like, these are cute. Would I also mind these being thrown at me? So I had to kind of weigh the pros and cons of like, okay, is it cushy, mm. but is it too heavy to be thrown at me? So it was very, very important right. you weigh those out. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what is your relationship? I don't really have shoes thrown at me too often, but, you know, I'm, I'm aware of such things. I've witnessed <laughs> such things. <laughs> I try to avoid the wrath of La Chancla as much as possible. If you don't put that on a t-shirt, I will. Yes. So this week, we are talking about something very culturally specific in that way. <laughs> and this was a, a listener suggestion mm-hmm. from Diana, and it's our first ever book review. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. So we read the book, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, and it was written by Erika Sanchez. It's a young young adult book. We've done movie reviews and TV reviews a little bit, but I'm a big book person, so mm-hmm. I'm always in favor of, like, let's read a book. And I know that's also my child-free privilege, um, <laughs> where I have space to to do things by myself. But uh, so that that was a, a push to do something a little different for us. But you were saying something about why should we even do book reviews in the first place and some inspiration you got from the author regarding that. Mm-hmm. It's really nice when normally with fiction, I don't want to know the author. I don't actually mm. want to hear their voice. I want to hear my voice. I want to know. But this is this particular kind of book, especially written by people of color. I kind of wanted to know their background, where they're coming from. I was really lucky enough to watch an interview with Erica Sanchez, who wrote the book. And doing this, she said something that blew my mind and it really backed up why we wanted to do book reviews. Uh, She quoted saying, I believe literature is a very powerful tool for empathy. 
And it it just blew my mind. And as we kind of open up the book a little bit, I think you'll kind of see where we're coming from, where we're talking about really, the really poignant views when it comes to culture outside of yourself. Yes, that's why I have such strong feelings about about literature and about Uh books, because I'm I'm about 50-50 fiction, nonfiction, Mm. as far as my reading and I think that oftentimes literature and fiction specifically kind of gets a bad rep, but I think more so than any other sort of storytelling that we consume, it brings up empathy in a way that other things can't because it, it is a world that has already been written down and has been created by someone else, but you're doing so much of the creation in your mind. So it's like you're really putting yourself in someone else's shoes as you're reading a story. Exactly. And off air, I was just talking to Danny about this project I'm working on, on trying to basically create and cultivate opportunities for people to practice empathy. And this is one of those ways to do it, to read books about other cultures outside of yourself, even within the realm of fiction. And I really hope that we can encourage you all to start practicing more empathy, like really work that empathetic muscle that we have. And it's, I promise you, you won't regret it. How about that? Yes. So give us a little rundown of of the book. Well, this is fantastic. It actually with this story, it doesn't tease you. And it says in the back, and I feel like it won't be any spoiler. This the main character is a 15 year old girl named Julia. And she has an older sister named Olga, who at the very beginning of the book has died in actually a very traumatic way. It's a very sudden kind of death. And this book I always can't stand the the term, the coming of age, but it's a, a book that deals about death and her journey as the daughter of immigrants through the missing and the longing and the grieving process of her sister, finding out that maybe she didn't know her sister very well, but also getting to know herself very well and her journey. And so it was really interesting. I didn't, wasn't quite sure what the timeline would look like. It kind of takes place about her junior year and the book ends with her at graduation of high school. So it's kind of about that time frame within the book. So it has beautiful characters in it, friends, uh, other family. It's, it's really nice. I don't want to give too, too much away because I know we're going to kind of dive in, but that is the bare bones of, mm. of, of a summary. I don't know. What do you think? Did I, those are always hard for me. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's that's right. It's a recent book published just in 2017. It's a young adult book, so it is written with that audience in mind. Mm-hmm. Which, as I've talked about on the show, I love young adult books. I'm I'm there for it. <laughs> so it's written for for young adults and Danny. Um, <laughs> There's like a section in in the Dewey in the Dewey Decimal. Exactly. <laughs> I would agree. I think for me, there's a lot of themes and and we'll spend the bulk of of this episode kind of deep diving into those themes a bit. But for me, I thought that first and foremost, it's a book about grief mm. for all of us existing in this world right now that it makes it a very like poignant read because we are dealing with grief on the daily, mm-hmm. essentially. It's not necessarily the death of a sister, but mm-hmm. it is different types of grief. And and I think this book really explores 
her coming to terms with that grief in a variety of ways. And the battle of grief coming into your life when you're already dealing with so much, which is also very poignant for right now. And in her case, it's dealing with mental illness and and just dealing with the difficult time that is adolescence. Yes. (laughs) And dealing with that on top of all these other other factors that we'll talk about. It's so funny because I I read this book very quickly. (laughs) I read this book over like about two days and I read it. It was almost a week ago now. And I've personally have had a death in my family since I finished reading it. So it feels so far away. This book feels like I read it so long ago um, and I feel kind of removed from it, but I'm excited to to dive into it and to hear your thoughts about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, for one of those, my initial thoughts were, I went to school with this girl. Do you know, not the right, but this Mm. character, I know these characters. And you said it is a young adult book. Yes. And it's written for that audience and the language and terminology and the pace. Um, And we talked about the themes, but there was something really parts of it that were obviously fictional, but other parts that were very, very familiar. Uh, I was telling Danny off air that I feel really spoiled, have grown up in Albuquerque, where we knew a lot of people, uh, friends, and very had uh, community with people who were in a very similar state, even in just states of grief, are dealing with mental health issue within the realm of being a family of color. And I think that has something that has a lot to do with the compound layers of grief and being able to deal with that. But also what Danny mentioned, dealing with your own baggage, dealing with your own hurt and enjoyed it. I don't read a lot of YA. I should. I think I should. It was, it was a very, uh, I don't seeing it kind of just play out a little bit and being able to see these characters. I don't, it was very not enjoyable. Enjoyable is not the word. It was nice to hear a different author's voice. And like I said, hearing a woman, a woman who is very um, in, in touch with her heritage and she wanted to make that space for young girls, especially adolescents. And I love books that humanizes teenagers and adolescence. But they, I, I love books that bring to light that adolescence is hard, that age group is challenging. And I really appreciated that voice and that space. So yeah, 2017 seems so far away, but it really isn't. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. Before we, we dive into the themes, though, I do want to just offer a quick trigger warning. And I don't know how much we're going to get into these things, but just for anyone who's considering reading the book, as we mentioned, like it does deal with death of a loved one. So if that's something that it would be difficult for you to handle right now, I do not recommend this book. And I would also like to point out that there are references to rape, there's references to suicide, and there's references to cutting. So if those are things that you don't want to expose yourself to that you would be triggered by, skip this book. Mm, that is so wise. Thank you. Because I was actually quite shocked. I was not expecting that. Me too. I was not <laughs> expecting so many of the things. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> it's like <laughs> young adult, my ass. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> yes. I wasn't prepared for this. Okay. Girl, I had to put it down for a day. I was like, ooh. Mm-mm. But thank you for uh, yeah. that. My thing is to just push through, which is also not a good response. <laughs> 
Like, keep reading, keep reading. It'll get past the suit. I love that so much better. Like, I love it. Like, quick. But, and you're a fast reader, too. So it's probably like puffs of smoke as you're like reading all the pages. And for me, I, I acted like it was like a, a horcrux and just like dropped it. And I was like, no. And I left the room. <laughs> I was like, not today. Mm-mm, not today. Maybe tomorrow. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about a lot of young adult is I feel like a particularly contemporary young adult, there's a lot of talk about these issues and it's never just one issue. It's always like a rainbow of issues and you're like, oh man, how much is this kid going to have to deal with in two weeks? This is out of hand. (laughs) It's too much. It is too much. All right. All right. All right. Let's think, let's talk about some of the themes that we're going on so we don't have to the dance is getting tiring. I want to, I'm trying, I'm so, it's so hard to do a review without spoiling it for anyone. So if we accidentally do that, you also have been warned. Yeah. I mean, I think there will be minor spoilers in this episode. We're not going to tell you everything, but we are probably going to spoil some things for you. Mm. So I, what Denny kind of mentioned at the top already is just death. Death in itself is a, a massive theme. And it, I think not also taking death so literally. I also thought there was like a death to childhood, a death of how uh, Julia, Julia thought of her sister, Olga. There, do you know there's a death of relationships? Mm-hmm. There's dead ends of trying to figure out more information. There's dead ends in her own freedom. There is a lot of just these hues and symbolic phrases and and things that happen that are just like oh kind of what you just said of like it just feels like one roadblock after another Mm -hmm. this goes along with another theme but i think in a lot of young adult books there's also this this coming of age aspect but i think the flip side of coming of age is the death of childhood Mm -hmm. right Moving into another stage of life always feels a little bit like a death and a little bit like like dealing with grieving in and of itself, like moving through adolescence into adulthood is its own kind of death, I think, which sounds so bleak and is not like my intention, but (laughs) I think it is the reality. What is and I think I think it's really interesting that they specifically chose 15 for many different reasons. I mean, you, I mean, I got a job, but it is hard to get a job at 15. You technically can't really drive. There's a lot of things that you can't do still at 15, but you're also expected to also do a lot at 15. Mm. It is a very interesting age where you're not quite at that threshold where you're able to accomplish a lot, but you're kind of, you withdrawn. You're not allowed a lot of the liberties and the freedoms of like a real adult, say if you were 17 or 18. It's a really tricky, complicated age. Yeah, I mean, 15 is hard. 15 was, <laughs> I would not want to go back to 15. That Girl. was one of my hardest years, Girl, <laughs> for sure. Not for all the hot Cheetos in the world. Could you pay well, me Well, I don't know. I, I mean, if there's anything, it's hot Cheetos. <laughs> but there is that. I mean, even kind of skipping around a little bit of why specifically 15, I thought it was something really interesting that there's this point of contention within the story that I'm mm. really glad they didn't make it the apex of the story. I was wondering, I'm like, yeah, please me don't, too. girl, I'm like, please don't make this be like the end. You know, the whole point of it is that Olga did not, her older sister did not get a quinceanera. And I think one of the mother's way of dealing with the grief was to then push the wanting of a quinceanera on Julia 
And it, (laughs) the tension within it all and the symbolism that actually goes within that, I thought was really interesting and how it kind of played throughout the storyline. But I'm really glad, like I said, it's not, it wasn't the whole point. I was really proud of the writer for that. But you can feel the tension rising leading up to the quinceanera. Mm, Julia's not a likable character. Yes. But that being said, I see a lot of myself in her. (laughs) And I think I really related to this idea of like, she was so against the quinceanera because she was like, I don't like, I don't want to be the center of attention. I don't Mm. want those things. And that's like me. Um, So (laughs) I really, I really felt for her. and, And I think it was a difficulty in that it was a lot of transference of guilt and things that they weren't able to give her sister and why they forced kind of forced it on her. And I think that guilt is also a byproduct of that grief. So we're not only seeing Julia reckon with the grief of the loss of her sister, but also very, very difficult loss of a child on her parents as well Mm -hmm. and both of them dealing with it in a a drastically different way and i definitely saw a lot of my mother in Mm -hmm. in her mother particularly with with her dealing of grief so the extended family and like constantly pointing out how hard it must be on her parents and not necessarily how hard it must be on her, which I think is is part of the the struggle with grief and with coming of age within the book as well. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, if we we go back a little bit to we we both have mentioned that uh, Julia is not a likable character within the book. She's describing herself, especially in comparison to her sister. Mm. Of I think her features of being a little bit more, a little darker. She doesn't describe herself as particularly attractive. She has, she's very heavy chested for someone who is 15 throughout the book. She mentions to her, her figure and the Mm -hmm. negative attention it gets from really icky, gross guys and how she tends to dress a little bit, you know, black loves black she's a little bit more alternative and just just in that in itself of in the opposite to her sister who she i think mentions is a little bit lighter thinner a little more fair and just her her talking about herself in comparison to her sister was just like oh you just you know you're at 15 i would love to meet a 15 year old who thinks that they look gorgeous i mean i want you to i'd love for you to have that confidence but it's so difficult to have that and and having that attention already if you don't feel comfortable in your body and then being made the center of attention and expected to fulfill that void and that hole of the loss of a child is it's too much to bear really i think that's an excellent point and there is this unspoken aspect of colorism and favoritism Mm -hmm. that goes along with her appearance for sure because she is darker she is more full-figured and her sister not only was lighter skinned and kind of smaller in size but she also looks like her mother Mm -hmm. and so like feeling that that is part of the favoritism which it might be it might not be it's not really discussed but i think there's a lot to dig into with that and julia i feel you you have a lot of work to do (laughs) you have a lot of work to do girl Mm -hmm. well even just like let's take it from like the very top of the title in itself the title Mm -hmm. grabs you when you when you suggested that we read this book i was like i'm sold because here's the thing on top of it being very poignant specifically to the writer to julia 
to people who are who are immigrating. But also, I think people can probably put that with any race, <laughs> any mm. marginalized group. Yeah. Do you know, I felt like instantly, even though I do not have Julia's experience, like I could put yourself, I am not the perfect, you know, mixed daughter or black or white daughter. And you, you can put into that of that expectation. And so what, what do you think makes, and that's kind of using the example between the two of Olga and, and Julia, a good Mexican daughter in this story. What are examples of what makes a good Mexican daughter? Yeah. Um, well, within the confines of the story, which I think are pretty rooted in reality, <laughs> there is this idea of like loyalty to the family above all else. And I'm actually reading right now, I'm reading a, a book that was a nonfiction book that was talking about this and, and the pressure, particularly not just Mexican families, but most families of color mm. dealing with that, right? And this idea of this, that is a value rooted in the home that like your loyalty is to the group, is to the family, is to the collective. But then that's at odds with the more individualistic culture of white dominant America. Mm. So so that's that's something that's really at odds. So but that's something that is valued as is a good trait. She Olga stays home. Mm. She spends a lot of time with her family. She cooks, she cleans, she helps her mother. She is chaste and sweet and deferential and just a, a good girl, mm. right? Like doesn't push back on things. Yeah, those are some of the traits that they really value within Julia's household. And I think... There's this duality of of wanting their kids to achieve things, mm. but also not wanting their kids to leave unless it's to get married and have more kids. So, girl, it's a real difficult situation. And I think that that's something that is resonant for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting reading it, too, because I do know a fair amount of Mexican people who are from Mexico, but even though I am Chicana, I am not, I don't have such recent ties to Mexico. Mm. Like my family, the border crossed us, right? We mm. didn't cross the border. <laughs> like, mm. so it's, it's a different sort of situation and similar but different values uh, within my own extended family. Mm. This is something I wanted to spend a little time in as far as like the loyalty and finding out of the goodness, your goodness and your amount of loyalty stays to is equated to how close you stay to the family, how much you do for mm. a family. Holga also went to mass, uh, also helped her mom clean. You know, th yeah. there's these of how much you contribute to the family and thinking so interesting of as someone who's a parent, how much you desperately want of the dangers that they went to cross the border, to come mm -hmm. to this country in order to have a better life for their children and thinking once again, for me of like, wow, am I buying into this, you know, American dream of, well, to give your kid the best is to send them off and thinking for, for where Holga wanted to stay and be with the family and was a little bit more meager. Uh, Juliet from the get go was like, I want to be a writer. 
I want to go. I'm going to leave. I'm going to like go on the first thing smoking out of here. She questions. She pushes back. She's not afraid to be in her mood when she she doesn't like family gatherings, which is really big into. Uh, that resonated with me so hard. <laughs> I've gotten into so much trouble as a kid <laughs> taking books to family gatherings. I totally saw you. And I was just like, she's like hiding my books so they wouldn't give me crap about bringing a book here. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is Danny. <laughs> <laughs> or even just like questioning teachers have just been like I don't I'm just being very honest and being a person I'm like yeah, I'm sure she'll appreciate that uh, but, yeah. but that's but that's the thing and that's what makes her not a good daughter and thinking of like well this is someone who is a has an open mind who is a really good student who wants to go and make a good career for herself so that way they talk about all the time don't break your back don't work like a donkey don't do these things yeah. be better than us but also don't leave the family and I thought on like oh across the board of families of color there is kind of this thing of like please go do good just do good within the confounds of our community and it's such an interesting, but that duplicitous kind of mindset and pressure of how do I go and succeed, but I don't know if I can do that here. Yeah, and, and I think that that's real, like you said, amongst many families of color. Like Both of my parents work service industry jobs, and that was a, a regular narrative in my house was you don't want to have to work hard like I am. Like mm -hmm. you don't want this. This is not the life you want. This is not the life I want for you. You have to do well in school, which I found interesting because I think there is even amongst Mexican families a lot of pressure to do well in school, which yes. I found a little bit lacking in this book. Mm. I think is fine for the most part. Like like we were saying with the Hamilton minisode, like it doesn't have to be everything mm -hmm. in, in one story, right? But what I did find problematic is I found on Goodreads when I was doing my review, putting it on my <laughs> list. I saw somebody write about, oh, it's interesting that Mexicans don't value education, <gasps> like some white person writing <gasps> that out of review. And I'm like, no, it's one, it's a book. It doesn't have everything in it. How did you draw that conclusion from this yes. book? Like, oh, that's awful, especially when I can even think about times where saying we know you're smart. And you are a good student. Like, yeah. caring about education and not wanting your kid to go away are two different things. They want them to do well in the college that is down the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, sorry. That actually, like, really, ooh, that really made me upset. But once again, also fiction. I don't know how to. Right. It, uh... Like we're saying, it's a good tool for learning empathy and a good tool for learning about experiences and things, but it's not the end-all be-all. You're not going to learn everything about Mexican-American culture by reading this book. Mm -hmm. Like, that's unreasonable. That's an unreasonable expectation. That That's pretty intense. And I think, if anything, it's, like, it's a good excuse for you. I love you know, the bits of Spanish, um, like El Cucuy. There's always beans and rice. on. Like, there are a couple of things that are just like like I said, very fortunate to be like, yeah, this is all very familiar, but some people might not have any clue. And this might be a little snippet, a little tiny window that not marred, like generalize a group of people, but it's just like, okay, wow, I'm not so different. Or what are things that are very unique? Okay, what is a quinceanera? What are these things? I don't know what that word is in Spanish. Let me look that up. It, just being able to do a little bit of work outside your own comfort zone don't take it as word. Don't take it as like, this is scripture of how Mexicans act. It's that, that's intense. 
Yeah. <laughs> that I is agree. related. So I, uh, you know what I also found really interesting in the interview with uh, the the writer, Erica Sanchez, she said she also wanted this book to have a little bit of a mystery to it. And that's, mm. I think that's another reason why the book was also kind of an easy, fast read, because it had that level of kind of mystery and intrigue without giving too much away. Julia, in mourning for, for Olga, goes into her room and finds things that are kind of a little bit off. She has this idea idea of this virginal almost saintly meekness of her sister and is slowly kind of learning that perhaps that might not be the case and so on top of this book of grieving all the classism uh, bouts of sexism there's adolescence and then this girl goes ahead and throws some sprinkle of mystery how does she fit it yeah, all it's in? a little a little nancy drew <laughs> a little nancy drew there <laughs> She she thinks she's going to single-handedly solve the mystery of her sister. Mm-hmm. Bringing it up right now when we're talking about family loyalty is right on the nose because mm-hmm. I think Olga's act of hiding these parts of herself was primarily a defensive and protective measure uh, mm-hmm. for her parents because she didn't want to disappoint them mm-hmm. by not being the perfect Mexican daughter. Like, So the title could really refer to Julia herself or it Ooh, could refer to yeah. Olga. Ah, ah, yeah. ah, yes, that's a how you do a book review. Sorry. <laughs> I was literally, I was just like, yes, say it. Say the words on my page. <laughs> Well, no, I feel I feel that way as well. And I think there's also I love the protective bond because I also feel like Olga did that. As I was talking off off air. Both Danny and I are both older so siblings. We have younger we have siblings underneath us. And I think there's a layer of protection that we have for our younger siblings. And I I felt there were times where I would get so upset with the Julia character because I'm like, don't you see what she was doing for you? She did stay at home. She did the quiet, neat thing. And it gave her the freedom for Julia's character to go and find out what Mm -hmm. she wanted in her own life. And to Mm -hmm. keep that a secret, once again, to keep peace in the house because peace, even with her sister being there, I mean, they still even mention, even with Olga there, it wasn't perfect either. Things were still would have moments of intensity and that, that kind of that burst and mentally unstable, but with her gone was even worse, you know? And so I even, Mm -hmm. I felt the protection of her sister within these acts of this mysterious part of her life throughout the story. And also the same thing in turn as Julia kind of growing up to being like, well, she wasn't what I thought she was and kind of having the grief and the death of what she thought of her sister, both physically and emotionally, but then also her kind of turning around and saying, well, how can I also protect her now in her mm-hmm. death? And I, I, I kind of loved the switch of who was protecting who mm. within that, within the story of kind of like that alternating, because that was a very good daughter thing to do, I think, in that mm-hmm. of deciding of what to do with this information about her sister. So yeah, get your Nancy Drew on, y'all. Take notes. <laughs> and I agree with your point about older sisters right like i think that as the oldest we take on either as a result of our parents or as just a result of ourselves the need to be perfect right there's more pressure for us to be perfect and even though it does kind of come down to personality yes there are different people and yes i think that there's a level on which Olga was able to relate to their mother 
more than Julia was. I think a big part of that, too, is just like Olga intentionally was agreeable mm. and as a way of, of being perfect and living up to those expectations. And by her doing that, you're right. It does give Julia more space to explore and, and be herself. And she acts as a buffer. So when mm. she's gone, you're right. It does become more explosive uh, within the household. And I, I, dynamic shift. You kind of have to be prepared when you're reading this book of just what you think, even uh, her, her mother, which is, like you said, a very intense, I, I don't know, would you describe emotionally abusive? I don't, I don't know if that's, the intent of emotionally unstable, but at the same time, this is grief of a child. And so right. it's so hard that you come in with this happening. So you have no basis of comparison. That's true. And I mean, I think you you can rightfully say that her behavior is abusive, but this is a, I hope this isn't too big of a spoiler, but there is a point where she does read her journals and oh. burns them. And I think like that is like a level of violation that is, is quite oh. high and quite abusive. And even if it's not abusive in the way that we, we typically talk about abuse, mm-hmm. I think it's complicated. And I think we're very quick to put these labels on oh. things rather than looking at the whole picture. And you're right, she is. She's struggling with the grief of losing her daughter. But I think the heart of that is, is this just butting of heads and personality between the mother and Julia? They're very different people with very different values and very different wants rooted in their own experiences, but also just who they are fundamentally as people. So I think that just makes the relationship very contentious, very mm. difficult. And it's it's worth mentioning at this point, too, that Diana, who recommended this to us, recommended this book to us as a response to the intergenerational trauma episode that yes. we did previously, and specifically talking about this idea of the mother wound, which I don't think either of us really want to get too deeply into. <laughs> Whole but other episode. It's a whole <laughs> other episode. episode. We don't not have enough time to Girl, talk about all of this. Not enough. <laughs> that relationship is one of the biggest relationships within the book. Mm-hmm. And a very difficult one to to navigate because as the reader, you can see fault on both sides, exactly. I think. You can. And I think this is actually a really good time to actually introduce Julia also has a father. And I think the fact that we actually yeah. haven't mentioned him up till now is very telling of who he is in the book. He mm. is, he is like a walking, he is the other side of grief. Now, mm-hmm. granted, it is led to within the story to believe that in his personality, he is a very passive person. He is not, he monetarily provides, but once he kind of enters the home from work, it kind of, it dwindles from that. Yeah. Well, it talks about, Olga rubbing his feet in the evenings, you know, like Mm -hmm. he's there, but he's not really there. And he, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he works and then he comes home and sits and drinks and watches TV. Mm -hmm. And that, that's it. And, and I wish there was more. And it's so funny reading this book. I'm thinking of these knockdown drag out fights that Julia is having with her mother. What you said, the, these burning of the journals, these arguments, these screaming matches, these horrible words said back and forth to each other. And I keep thinking, is he ever is what's his plan? 
And, you know, like yeah. see, seeing her dad. And this, like I said, especially in these moments of grief, I, I can't imagine if you're already very passive kind of ghost. He's more ghost than, mm-hmm. than person. I think within the story, even in some of the most tense parts of there's a part in, in the Kinsida where she mentions having to dance with her dad. And the whole thing was so cringy because if you already don't have a closeness and you're forced to have closeness with your, with a father like figure, especially it was just, I felt for her character. And I felt that mm. absence of needing that kind of parental guidance of if I'm not like my mother, then I must be like my father, but my father is absent. And so where does that lead me? I'm talking about how much she has this big family, but no one to really relate to. Even her best friend, she mentions in the book, she's so very different from. So when you have those feelings, it could be quite isolating when you can't find someone to relate to. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth noting, just to go back to the dad for a minute, that he he's a ghost, but he has been a ghost since before Old God died. Mm. Like that has been the role within the family for a long time. And and we find out a little bit more spoiler alert, we find out a little bit more about the circumstances that led to him becoming that way. Mm-hmm. That's an important moment for Julia because she and this is part of a coming-of-age story, she's able to see the experiences her parents have had before she was even born Mm. and how that impacts them as as people, which we often on the show talk about giving people grace, right? And and I think it goes back to that. Like, you don't really know the things that people Mm -hmm. have been through. You don't know what has taken them to that point. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that it's, it's okay the way that her parents have treated her. That is not what I'm saying. It's not justification. But I think by giving that grace, there's a little bit more understanding to be had, which is important for her own healing uh, mm. to be able to understand why these things have happened. Exactly. Well, it, it's that part, I think part of coming of age, and I think we've both mentioned this off air, on air, it's just the humanization of your parents, of realizing mm-hmm. our parents are people. And Mm -hmm. the same thing I want them to do for young people when we talk about mental health in the book, and especially the second half, it's very, very strong talks about mental health within teenagers. But there's also something really mature. The moment I realized that my parents were people, that grace and some of the the forgiveness just kind of washed over me. It made sense when I was able to put myself in their shoes of especially like, I don't know if you do this, you're just like, hey, what was my mom doing at my age? What, mm. what did her life look like now in this body of, you know, doing now, you know, by this, by the time my mom was my age, you know, she had three kids and she had moved all over and, you know, she had left the military, it, all these things. It, it just brought this humanization to her and not saying she was subhuman, I'm saying she was mom. And I mm-hmm. think mom does become something otherworldly and that's really difficult but seeing Julia another spoiler she she does a little field trip to to Mexico seeing her within that environment of where her family was from where they grew up and seeing that and being able to put it very tangibly in herself it's really interesting to see it's really cool to read I I actually really enjoyed that because I believe that's something as we grow up I hope we all do more I think that does help Mm. with the mother wound the way to help that is to see them outside of mother, outside of father, is to see them as human people. Part of that that section of the book of her spending time with her grandmother and her other family in Mexico, I think that's also key when we're talking about healing is like understanding your roots and understanding where your people came from, not mm. just you. 
And I feel like, and this is maybe reaching a little bit, but I feel like that is some of the difficulties a lot of people face in this country, particularly Black people, because it's hard to really trace your family back. And so there's a struggle and a want for that. And I think that there that's something we all have. And being able to explore that is, is really a gift uh, for healing. Mm. I, I really... I really think that's a beautiful point. And I think even on the show, we always talk about what's the mixed point of view. People who are mixed race really struggling with that. Because even if on one side you have an idea, you might not be that strong on the other side. And if you favor one side more than the other, mm-hmm. or, you know, if I'm, if I'm Latina, but I'm also Dominican and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm black, but where from? And I think there's also that pull, that physical pull, even within yourself to figure out well where where do i actually root myself when i live in these two worlds that yeah it was really difficult to navigate and a lot of books you read about healing intergenerational trauma you, you're supposed to start with yourself and going back to the family and you, like you said going back to those roots but how do you do that coming from a mixed background yeah and it's a problem of white supremacy and white dominant culture is I think there has been an erasure of culture within white communities. So even though I think it's something that white people or people who are mixed race with white in your in your heritage uh, struggle with because it's like you hear it all the time is like, I'm white European. I don't know where from, you know, like, so there's not that connection or that ability to explore culture in that way. Mm. And instead, you're just left with this white supremacist dominant culture that we live in Azure culture, which is very damaging, Mm. I think, on the psyche as well. Mm. Speaking speaking of white culture, not that there's a lot, bravo. Do we want to touch on maybe a couple of like the white characters within the book? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, a, yeah, not a theme, but just an homage, a, a, a mention, <laughs> <laughs> an honorable. Yeah, mention. no, no, that and they were two characters who I had a lot of mixed feelings about. Mm. For sure. The first one that we're introduced to is actually the first of the two we're going to talk about is one of her teachers. Mm -hmm. And he teaches at the school and he's like the cool teacher, even though he's, you know, a white guy teaching at this inner city school in Chicago. He takes a liking to her. And there's this you're the best student I've ever had sort of narrative. This is like one of my major criticisms of the book is like his role feels very white savior, Mm. which makes me very uncomfortable. And then something you and I discussed is just like, it feels icky. And I'm sure this is just consuming too much bad, (laughs) bad (laughs) stories. But I was like waiting for like something really icky to happen between them and it never did like he he seems like a genuinely good person yeah but i was i was waiting for it oh i'm so thank you we have both consumed way way too much true crime in our life to be reading this kind of book with any kind of clear conscience i felt the same way i did get a little white savior i got a lot of pushed i had a hard time believing his 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 sincerity towards julia mm. i even like the part where she's like he even says julia not julia and i yeah. just it felt it felt very very forced 
and I struggled with the authenticity of the character, but that's not mm. up to me. Like that's how the author wrote it. I feel like that's me reading it. I'm like, cool, thankful for the character. And I think he, it was written for us to show that teachers are important, that teachers can be helpful that the role that they, they can play. But I think it does a, a dual thing. One, it thinks it puts a lot of pressure on teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to Which, be saving- who don't need any more pressure than yeah. they already have. It, they have so much pressure. They need to be like savior, counselor, professional, educator at, at all times. It's a lot. I, and here's the thing. If they're going to be all those things, you should pay them for being all those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is girl. Like, so if they're going to do that, so I had a hard time with that. But on on the other end, it just sometimes it felt very, like over, over the top, and not letting her make her own kind of decisions. It was, yeah, it it felt a very suffocating kind of big cheerleader moment. But maybe it felt that fake, because all these other characters were so (laughs) drag and, and dark and against Julia and maybe that's why I didn't buy the teacher character but once again I think I read too much true crime those are excellent points and I think it goes back to also two additional things which are just about the style of writing perhaps Mm -hmm. is like Julia's so down on herself all the time Mm -hmm. and so I think hearing someone not be down on her feels inauthentic because Mm -hmm. we're we're like so conditioned to think badly of her already which in a way is like also very truthful (laughs) about the mind of an adolescent girl say it but i think the other part is it was a lot of telling rather than showing when it came to his character so it's a lot in her head or her like explaining something in like a one sentence thought rather than seeing their interactions too often like it was oftentimes going back to like her reliving a moment or her discussing a moment in her head or saying things in her head like he calls me julia instead of julia but if we had seen that more instead of being told that i think the the relationship and the character would have felt more authentic Mm. it was and and i think the it was important, I think, for her to have a male character that could not be the more antithesis, like the antithesis of her father. Mm. Very invested, very complimentary, just just to see how she would respond with that kind of environment. So I I, I kind of love those parallels between the male character the within the book, and then they throw this other white boy up in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it felt it felt a little forced. So she does get. A rich white boyfriend who she meets who is just like loves all the same books she does and thinks oh, she's amazing. Oh the and- meeting, I y'all have to read it. The meeting itself, I'm just like, really, really, okay, okay. all right. These two characters are supposed to serve as like a life raft for her. Mm-hmm outside of her family and like she has her her best friend who is also kind of a life draft but she also struggles with that a little bit because of their differences and and these are supposed to be like two people who recognize her her beauty and her greatness but it just felt so forced yeah and why does her boyfriend have to be white is it like to challenge to add that other layer of conflict within her Mm -hmm. i think so 
It felt unnecessary, though, mm. to me. Like, I feel like she was already grappling with that enough. Like, I don't think we needed a boyfriend to serve as that as well. I mean, I kind of got, like, what's the necessity of a boyfriend at a time of grief anyway? You yeah. Know? And, I, and I think even her being that, of just talking about who her character is up to this point, and her kind of acting on the opposite of that within this, and how within grief we can take on attributes and characteristics of ourself that are nothing like how we would normally act whatsoever. Because the way she talks about relationships with males and things of that nature up to that point is kind of like, oh, all right, well, this is a little bit different. Even when she goes to Mexico, her her actions towards the opposite sex are a little bit different than what I think she would, her character had been in the beginning of the book. I will say the only thing is, uh, I kind of saw the point of that is, is for her in her own mind to kind of see classism a little bit, the haves and the have nots. Hmm. And not that she didn't see that already, but she kind of stated in her, the beginning of the book, her attraction towards kind of white boys. And I'm like, Hey girl, same, I get that. But her kind of seeing that it's not just an attraction that is enough and even in her own mind of even someone who seems to be really sweet and really intelligent into her, it's not it's not that simple. It reminded me, and this is probably entirely because I just rewatched this movie last night, in The Hate You Give, mm. she has a star, the main character has a white boyfriend, and it's like this struggle with that. It feels like a trope a little bit. Mm. And I say this as a woman of color married to a white guy, you know, um, but I and this is always me in most books anyway. I just mm. wish the romance storyline was dropped. Mm. There is part of a, a coming of age story that often has to deal with like, spoiler alert, losing your virginity, right? Yeah. As a passage into adulthood, which is also kind of weird. I have thoughts and feelings about that. We don't have to get into it. But oh, I know because um, <laughs> even like I, I want to go through that with the parallels with the Kinsenetta about this becoming available for womanhood. And girl, I want mm, off air. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Not kind of weird, weird character choices, in my opinion. Mm. But maybe it really resonates with some people. I don't know. Mm. Well, maybe even just showing. Like, I think dating at that age is weird and it does feel forced and honestly like I maybe I'm a pessimist now I do feel like I wish they would have dropped the romance of part of it or even young love lust however you want to characterize it I feel like it should be dropped in 15 year old land anyway <laughs> but it's just in, in that focus in that time frame for her it did feel like it was supposed to be like you said like an escape for her but that just became another problem it became like could this girl take any more because even reading it i'm like this is not gonna go far the further they they talked about this character the more i'm like it's not gonna work out it may it may not it's just not looking good and so to set up something that was supposed to be so good for her end up being something maybe not so good i don't know he'll have to read oh certainly in, in that moment where it's like she's so happy and everything is so good i like felt my body tense because i knew something bad was about to happen yes girls same i was like no did we just put something else in just to be another thing but i mean let's take it back to 15 i mean i same same 
you know, same thing, getting, having, being in a relationship that wasn't helpful, already going through a lot, and then having that not be great on top of it. Like, I kind of, the only reason why I actually call this book a coming of age story because is the loss of the virginity. Up till then, I felt it was a very book dealing about grief in family dynamics. But then we have this kind of underlying storyline of this kind of relationship and and sexuality and sex as a whole. And I'm like, "Uh, I guess it is more kind of coming of age, which, like I said, whole other feeling about it. But uh. the last thing I think that we have to talk about, even Mm. though I feel like we're running out of time. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah is mental health and mental illness. And I think it's a huge, huge theme. And it's very clear pretty early on, I think, that Julia is is really suffering. And she has a lot of problems and she has some that are that are external and some that are internal. And it's a lot to deal with. And I think for adults in particular, it's it's easy to forget how difficult a time that is for many people but that that's i think that's something that i i like that i'm seeing more in in young adult books is is there is a lot of the spotlight on normalizing mental health issues Mm, i agree and i think not to just shove it all off onto hormones Yeah, she's dealing with real traumatic grief. Mm -hmm. Like her sister dies in a really horrific, sudden way. Once again, I'm always going to say this of just being able to see your teenager as a person who is struggling and still learning how to deal with these complex emotions up till now, being able to have such a death so close to you on top of, you know, feeling like you're overdeveloped for your age, not feeling attractive, feeling very stuck. And I think on a scale of that, going back to that, really wishing you had someone who took your feelings seriously. Mm. You know, I think that's another thing I constantly see is people making very little of her. Like, why do you always have to make a big deal out of it? You, the overreaction. And right. I think if I had a dollar for every time said a, a girl specifically was overreacting, you're hysterical. Or dramatic. You're dramatic. Yeah. I'm thinking like, well, no, let's actually see if there's something to this. And I, I don't know. I, I think about the difference it would have made for me to be able to talk about my mental health as a teenager and the things that I went through. And like, it, it would have changed so much of my life if people would have took what was going on with me seriously instead of being like, oh, they're a teenager, they're hormonal, they're they're being dramatic, they're they're doing the most. I think you're right. I am seeing it more and people starting to use language and educating themselves on what's actually going on because it it is tough. You don't have to have the death in the family to really struggling with identity and where you fit into the world can feel like it's swallowing you up. And on top of yes. parts of your brain not being developed yet. <laughs> that is tricky and we need people to come along and help be like advocators and navigators you know so Mm -hmm. not to fix the problem for them but showing them how to do life and coping mechanisms and space to be who they are and feel everything or else they're never going to know how to deal with those feelings yeah and i think it's more than just adolescence which is like an excellent point that like we need to normalize these things for teenagers but i think it's also communities of color Mm. and we've talked about this at length seeing or seeking a therapist or help is seen as like weakness or is like discussing your family's business outside the family is something that you aren't supposed to do Mm -hmm. 
You tell so, your priest and no one else. <laughs> exactly. And and that was what I was going to say. It's like there's this attitude of like you can pray for it to get better. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not saying that to be disparaging against religion, but like there is only so much prayer can do. And like God helps those who help themselves, right? Like that's a thing. Um, so <laughs> the atheist over here is uh, quoting scripture for you. But like there, there is, right? Like I think that there is power in faith and religion, uh, particularly when you have these deep cultural ties to it. So I'm not. I'm not disparaging that. I just think that there are resources and ways to help deal with these really complicated Mm -hmm. issues, earthly issues, my friends. So, like, no, no, no. God also gave us doctors. (laughs) I'm just exactly as someone who who is a believer of Christ. I'm like, pray and like prayer and therapy is a very beautiful combo. They work in tandem. Exactly. The power of of your thought of prayer or meditation or all these other tools that we have to help focus us and focus our intention, that's really important. But you also need people to help you. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't do that alone. And it can't just be your priest, my friends. Like, it needs to be somebody. Yeah, don't put that on them, too. Because guess what? They're human as well. They are. Exactly. And I think there's something beautiful. Like I said, I think I've seen a lot of people be released and have a lot of healing just through prayer. But also with Julia, we're talking about mental health. You also might need to see, it might also be an imbalance as well. You know, Mm -hmm. don't overlook for some people who actually as a chemical you were born with a chemical imbalance and I think that's why you have to seek professional help to weed out okay is this something you can continue to pray meditate on or talk to a counselor or you actually might need some medical attention and there's no shame it does not lower your faith and I'm speaking specifically for people who 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 put their faith in Christ like it does not lower your faith. If anything, this is you honoring your body and honoring your mind by taking care of it because we're called to be good stewards with our body, our heart, souls, and mind. And you have that freedom to go get help. Go get help. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's a lot there and there's a lot of resistance within communities of color. Mm-hmm. And and I like that it the book did address that as well. So good. Yeah. So there was a lot of good in this book. Some things we had problems with. I don't know. At the end of the day, Mika, would you recommend this book? I would. especially. I think especially to a teenager, like I said, with the trigger warnings. And if I was going to suggest it, I would also want to do follow-up. I'm a really big fan of follow-up if I'm going to give a book to somebody to read to make sure like navigate, especially through some of the more difficult themes and like I said some of like the more triggering parts but I think I would I think I would like it's an easy read I don't think it's gonna it's not gonna be taxing to finish this and of course who doesn't love a little bit of mystery and references to beans and rice like it's it's got it all folks yeah <laughs> what, what would you suggest it I would I think a critique I have of the book is it does feel like and this is something quite common in young adult it does feel like a lot of issues crammed into one book, mm-hmm. which I have mixed feelings about because, I mean, adolescence feels that way. <laughs> like, there's a lot of issues crammed into one moment in one body. So, so I understand that. I would also, I don't know. I, I think that there's a, 
Another book that also was recommended to us by the same listener at the same time, which is called The Poet X, and I had actually just finished reading that book when she recommended it to us, and it's by Elizabeth Acevedo, and it in some ways has like a lot of parallels mm, with this book. Really? Um and and yeah, it's it's a Latina teenage girl who wants to be a writer who is like struggling with her identity and herself who has a very like contentious relationship with her mother both books feature <laughs> scenes of the mother burning their journals e. which i find really interesting <laughs> but i i think i enjoyed the poet x more then I am not your perfect Mexican daughter. It was a shorter read, a little easier. And it was also written in verse because she is a poet. So it, it was very like the language was more poetic, which Ooh, I enjoyed. I'm going to have to give that a go. I would maybe recommend reading both in tandem and, and thinking about that. It's also very different because it does take place in New York City, mm-hmm. which the main character, Julia, in this book wants nothing more than to move yes. to New York City. Ooh, so look at Danny giving out homework. You all heard it. Yeah. Read both Always. together. <laughs> yeah. So read them both, maybe. Perfection. I like that. I'm gonna have to get that next after I finish reading the book I'm reading now. So I can cool. do that. All right. Any last thoughts about I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter? Um yeah, I Thank you for suggesting the book. Please always send us your suggestions. We really, we appreciate it. And we want to continue to open up the Unicorn Library. And even if we don't get to read it, we want to be able to put it up on our Instagram for others too. And we encourage other people to read more books by people of color, by women of color who are telling these, these stories. So I appreciate it. Keep them going. Yeah. I almost read this book in Spanish, and I'm so glad I didn't because I don't think I could have gotten through it. It would have been too difficult. But it was like in the library in Spanish when I went to the library. And I was like, okay, they don't have it in English. I'm going to read it in Spanish. But then it wasn't on the shelf because the book was in quarantine because it had just been returned. Um, Uh, So they were like quarantining books for like 48 hours before they like put them out again. We we, we have to go to a happy (laughs) place, but wait, they're quarantining books? Do they like... Yeah, at the library. Girl, free the book. COVID. No, I didn't. I'm not, I can't, all right. I don't even have words. All I can imagine is like this little halfway house for these books that all they want to do is to be, like my mind just went to these books of just like in this camp where they can't be touched and felt yep. and read. It's exactly. All, this is terrible. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't know. They might also be sanitizing them. I don't yeah. really know. But yeah, it was it, it was in quarantine, so... I ended up reading it in English. Oh, good. Well, I'm I'm glad. That's one less stress you need in in your life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like those a lot of the things that we're talking about. I'm like, I don't even know what that word is in Spanish at all. <laughs> so I would have been looking up lots of uncomfortable words. <laughs> I was really proud of myself. My singular words are good. Phrases are not great for me. I'm. It's so bad. My span. I, I. It's so. It's so bad. I'm doomed when I get back home. Hmm. (laughs) should we should we happy place real quick yeah
what's your happy place? So I had a birthday a while ago. Yeah, I am officially mid thirties now. It it looks good on me in my mom jeans. I got an iPad for my birthday, and let let I was really shocked. And, and let me tell you, because we didn't go on any of our trips, my family we we are very cheap, but we spend all of our monies on traveling. Like that's what brings us joy. We'll we'll have junkie cars. We'll be hoopty on everything else, but we like to travel. But because we haven't been traveling, so we, I got an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, I've been actually been able to one be really productive, and I really like it. I've I've also I've gotten back into drawing and doing graphic art, which I did not realize I really enjoyed, and it's really bringing me a lot. I used to do a lot of art, a lot, a lot pre pre kid, and I just I forgot how much I just enjoy it so much, and because. I, uh, I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. It's summertime and watermelon. And I don't really care how stereotypical that makes me. Because <laughs> watermelon is freaking refreshing. And you guys don't get to turn that into something awful. It is pure love. And I love it. And I'm going to eat some because it's been sitting in the refrigerator, already chopped when this is over. <laughs> Excellent. Unashamed. <laughs> It is. It is super refreshing, though. Like no, I don't care. Who doesn't like <laughs> it? I just like. I always feel like I'm afraid for people. To ask like some of your favorite foods, and my one of mine is watermelon. And there's always that that fear. And now I'm liberating myself from that fear. It's freaking delicious. If you don't like it, something's wrong with you. It has nothing to do with my brown. Right. But what what is making you happy? All right, mine's a little strange. Love it. Um, I'm already into it. <laughs> So about a month ago, I started an alternate Instagram. I have several Instagrams, ah! it turns out. But this Instagram, <laughs> I started specifically to post pictures that I've taken of graveyards and cemeteries. Love it. Because I have so many on my phone. And, and this was like about a month ago. I like stumbled upon this tiny rural graveyard northern new mexico and took a bunch of pictures and then was like maybe i should have a dedicated graveyard instagram so i started this instagram didn't really think much of it been posting pictures occasionally haven't really like done much engagement and have like gotten like nearly a hundred followers doing nothing and with that i have discovered this whole subset of Instagram <laughs> that I was completely unaware of. Like, uh, I, I was scrolling through who was following that Instagram. And, you know, you can see everyone's little profile pictures. And Ian's like, who's that guy? I was like some old white guy. Um, and I, I clicked on it. And it was like, an undertaker a mortician, <laughs> like on Instagram. And like, so it's all these things. It's like, other people who photograph cemeteries, there's like morticians and undertakers. There was like this granite company that like makes tombstones. Yes. <laughs> like it's a business Instagram for a granite company that makes tombstones. It's so cool. It's so neat. That I'm is, I'm into it. I I I yeah. And you know, it's not odd. It's Danny. <laughs> i love it and now i know what to get you for your birthday i'm done i'm done i thought i knew but now i know for sure now and now you have to wait <laughs> uh also one of the first instagram accounts to follow me was 
I mean, it must be an unofficial account, but it's just a cemetery that was my old neighborhood cemetery before I moved to to my current house that I used to walk past all the time. So I thought that was kind of funny and interesting that they they found me. (laughs) I love it. So if you're in a cemetery, make sure to bring somebody to draw with and some watermelon and have a nice picnic. Yes. Yeah. People, honestly, living here, like, people like, oh, that's macabre. People have benches everywhere in cemeteries here in England. And so for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, have a nice coffee in this old, ancient cemetery. So, yeah, go for it. I love it. I I mean, I've already posted a lot of uh, cemetery pictures I took in England also, because they're just really great. Really interesting uh, and really beautiful. Gorgeous. They are really, really. I am. Oh, anyway, we could go here. It's the graveyard cast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I absolutely love it. Best one. I think you're just trying to usher in fall as much as like, Mm. I think you're just trying to like manifest that as much as possible. And I'm here for it. I'm gonna let you. You do you. Yeah. All right. Well, we should wrap this up. Thank you, Diana, again, for the suggestion of today's topic. We are definitely open to any other suggestions that y'all might have. It can be a topic. It could be a book. It could be a movie. It could be a TV show. Whatever. If you think it's something that is relevant to us as biracial people, please let us know. You can do that by either connecting with us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Biracial Unicorns. We're on Twitter at Biracial Magic. And you could email us the old-fashioned way. You could shoot us an email. Uh, we're biracialunicorns at gmail.com. We don't always respond to emails. We're not the best at doing so in a timely fashion sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but do know that we do read and appreciate every single email that we get. Girl, I was literally about to say, I'm like, thank you so, so much. Like I said, we are both doing full-time other gigs uh, but we do really appreciate them. We take them to heart. They're so encouraging. I think especially right now where we feel like our, you know, we've talked about it before. We don't like to feel like we're screaming into a void. We want to continue to create space for people of color, specifically mixed people of color as well. So we really appreciate your feedback, your encouragement. Please keep them coming. Um, maybe we should just like just give notes or read little segments of said emails that might be okay to use on the show mm. or something like that instead of like responding back. Yeah, but, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. Maybe that's what we're going to do instead just to have like so much respect for you all taking the time to write us. Thank you. And you're also also your awesome comments on Instagram as well. Speaking of Instagram, you should follow Deli Pop Art, who's made our very iconic unicorn art right there please follow she's incredibly talented and also a huge shout out to joseph scott for making our beautiful intro and outro music follow other artists you guys support them support them support them Yes, please. And if you're looking for ways to support us, one of the things you could do is just share the podcast with any of your friends who you think might be interested. We'd love love for them to hear hear it and to hear from them too. So if you were turned on to the podcast by a friend, let us know and we'd be happy to shout you both out on a future episode. You could also write us a review or rate us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews are nice because it gives us a little bit more visibility. So if you're thinking that might be a a good way uh, to support us if you're enjoying the show. 
Yes, please do. We love a good review. Yeah, especially if it's a nice review. Yeah, see how I put that in there? It was like that double kind of dual meaning thing. So good review. Like a little little subliminal thing good there. Yes. So that's all for Mm -hmm. today's show. We'll be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with a full episode. Mm -hmm. All right. Peace. Out.